We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We're here to talk Giants football. The bye week is over. We had a good time last week discussing a lot of the midseason topics for the Giants. We didn't get to everything we wanted to get to, so we're going to hit all of those topics today, get to the news and notes, get to the players we want to see more of in the second half of the season, get to the All-22 film, why we want to see more of those players, and we'll preview the Giants' Week 10 game on Monday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers. But for now, I'm going to throw it over to my co-host, Nick. How are you doing after a weekend off from Giants football? Yeah, doing well. I'm off from Giants football, but definitely still in, uh, involved heavily and not and kind of missing it, to be honest. I didn't have a ton of stuff to do Monday and Tuesday and uh, had a quick piece up. But besides that, doing well. You know, just like we're ready to get back at it. Yeah, we're here no matter how the Giants do. So, you know, 1-7, yeah. 1-9, wherever they fall through this season, we will be here. We will continue. We'll preview what the good news is, what we're looking forward to with this team. There is a lot. There are a lot of players, you know, to get excited about on this roster moving forward, regardless of what the record says. And as we know, as you guys know from listening in, we do put a harsh, put a lot of the blame on the quarterback position this season, at least. Um, and, you know, that's bound to change this offseason. We will be here for all of that. The Giants have pretty much made it clear, you know, they're going to go in a different direction there at quarterback next off uh, this offseason. So we'll start there with the news and notes. Um, on Tuesday, Pat Shermer named Eli Manning his starting quarterback for the Week 10 game against the San Francisco 49ers. This did not come as a surprise to me based on me, uh, me reading through the tea leaves. Um, did you think that, Nick, did, is this a surprise to you? Did you think he would turn to uh, Kyle Letter or Alex Stanley already in Week 10? You, we had said that I thought that I thought now was a good time to do it. I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised, to be honest, just because now it goes into an area where you kind of don't know, and I guess it depends how Eli does. And I know they want to win games, obviously. Dumb statement to make, but I'm saying I think the best quarterback possible is going to be the one they're going to put forward to win games, and I think it's going to be Tanny first maybe because of this situation that's unfolded with Loletta, but I'm just surprised. I am a little surprised that it's happening this way. Yeah, I mean, to me, the most interesting comments that Shimmer made with regard to the quarterback position were the ones he made about Alex Tanny and Kyle Loletta because he basically said, I feel comfortable turning to Tanny right now. And when they asked him about Loletta, he said, well, he's still a young quarterback who has a lot to learn. And remember, he played a Division One at AA school last season at Richmond. So, you know, he's still very raw. And so that kind of, you know, throws a little bit of uh, caution to the wind for those who believe that, you know, Loletta will be the guy to get the first shot and we're going to get, you know, a good large sample size of data when it comes to Kyle Loletta at the quarterback position during this 2018 season. Because, you know, I think at least based on those comments, 
You know, Shermer might make the decision to turn to Alex Tandy before Kyle Aletta. Personally, uh, I would not be in favor of this decision. I mean, we talked about it last podcast, and I'll, I'll say it again. You know, while this is not surprising to me that Eli Manning is still the starter, it's not the decision I would make. I think that at this point, winning football games is not the most important thing for this giant franchise. And I understand how hard that is, you know, for a coach to grasp or for the players in the locker room to grasp. And at the same time, though, I don't think it's a guarantee that Eli Manning gives Giants a better chance to win them football games than Kyle Letta. Now, can you make the case that Alex Tanny gives the Giants a better chance to win than Kyle Letta? I'm not sure, but if the coaches believe that, it does make sense to why they would turn to him if Eli Manning continues to struggle. But it's definitely important to keep in mind that this is not the decision for the remainder of the 2018 season. Eli Manning is not a lock to be the starter. Pat Shermer said it best. He said, I talked to Eli, and I, and I told him, you know, I basically told him what, what, what has gone down so far in the first eight games is not going to be acceptable, you know, if you want to continue to hold the job. He essentially, you know, he didn't come out and say those words, at least to the public. But I believe that that's kind of how the conversation went between those two. Um, and, you know, the one thing I did find to be a little bit troubling, Nick, um, and I get it. Again, you just talked about it yourself. But he basically said, Eli Manning's a starter, and I'm hoping that I don't have to make the decision to bench him. I'm hoping we go on a run. So to me, it's just a bit troubling because I just don't really see what there is to gain from going on a run right now with Eli Manning, with where the franchise is at. Is that something that kind of makes sense to you, Nick? Yeah, just because you would almost then it gets into a spot. Well, what if you win? What if you win four games in a row? Will you ever see Loletta this year, right, or anyone else for that matter? And then it's just you know, then it's just a matter of. I guess part of this gets back to you. And I don't really want to dive back into this, but I, I this this is why I think you want a guy like Webb in the wings to that has more experience that 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 you want to kind of see. And then you know if he then if he plays well, then all of a sudden it's great because you have a great competition going on. But the Tanny element makes it just kind of funky. It's nothing against him, but he's a, he's a he has one career start in his life, right? As a 30-year-old. And I just that's where it, I think the dynamic gets kind of funky where it doesn't make sense going forward where you know again if if Webb if Webb was here and he goes on a run, great. If it's Loletta, great. But I don't know that either you know the neither both those players are not going to get a chance, obviously, and maybe one at this point. Yeah, I'm not going to go that far, Nick. I'm actually going to disagree with you on this. And it's healthy for us to disagree sometimes. But I actually, to me, the Webb decision was the right one to make this offseason releasing him. I saw a quarterback on tape at Cal who was extremely slow at mental processing and worked through progressions. This is something I also saw at practice when I was there in training camp few days this this offseason the Giants were nice enough to grant, grant me some press passes and he threw a lot of interceptions those days and he was really slow getting rid of the football and that's something I saw in the preseason as well this is I think that personally <laughs> these issues we've seen with Eli Manning when it comes to processing and get rid of the football and taking 31 sacks in eight games on pace for a career high 62 they would be uh basically amplified in my personal opinion with Webb in the game now I understand what you're saying experience from a sense that he's been in the NFL a little bit longer, but his experience to me is about the same as Alex Tanny because Tanny was on that Tennessee Titans roster for several years, learning behind, you know, Mariota or whoever was their quarterback um, during that time. And that's kind of essentially the same experience Webb got, Nick. So you kind of see what I mean there. It's not really, you know, it's not an actual veteran, more of a veteran than, than Kyle Oletta coming from a D2 school. But to me, I actually think Loletta enters the NFL with a little bit more of a chance than Webb did because Webb came from that air raid system at Cal, and Loletta played in like four different, you know, three or four different offensive systems over there at Richmond, including some pro style, including some systems with pro style elements. So you kind of see where I'm coming from there. Oh yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's 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 the right counterpoint. Mine was more just looking for and 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 you know basically a bona fide competition for Manning that you could have. And I know now, obviously we all know now that Webb was not the answer. I just think that it's more, I just don't think you can leave it to the point where Tanny is the number two, I guess is the way to put right. it. And that, and that's where it kind of gets into this spot now where, you know, do you give Tanny a chance for two or three games? And again, then you're taking away from Aletta. We don't know how this is going to shake out, but just right now, I don't, I think, I think you wanted to start that process versus delaying that process. I get it. And listen, here's the thing. It's possible going into this whole process with the decision to draft Kyle Ouellette in the fourth round. The Giants figured, hey, we got at least another full season no matter what out of Eli. They might have thought that Eli was going to thrive in this setting that they put him in this season with Pat Schrember's offense, with the offensive line, you know, 
having additions in the offseason, they might might have thought, listen, we can afford to draft Aletta because we have Manning. We don't have to play him in his rookie season. If that's the case, I understand the hesitancy to turn to him. But long term, I just don't see what there is to gain from playing someone like Alex Tanny. It's similar to the Geno Smith situation from last season. I didn't see there was anything to gain from playing a retread veteran, veteran like Geno Smith. It turns out there wasn't. And on the same light, I get a little nervous. I get a little scared, Nick, when I hear Shermer say things like, we hope we don't have to bench man. We hope he goes on a run. Because if that's the case, is it possible they're considering holding on to him as the starting quarterback for the 2019 season? That's something that, to me, would set this franchise back. Why? Because Eli Manning and the entire Manning family is not the type of family that takes pay cuts. It's not in their blood. It's not anything they've done at any point in their entire history. Peyton Manning was t- was collecting 20-plus million. Was, you know, allocated, the Broncos were allocating 20-plus million against the cap to hold Manning during his final season when he could barely throw the ball 15 yards down the field. Peyton Manning, that is. So if the Giants were to stick with Eli Manning, if he does go on some kind of run to end this 2018 season, well, then they're kind of locking themselves into keeping him with a $23.2 million salary gap hit on a team that's already allocated a lot of their cap space for the 2019 uh, season, on a team that does have to extend Landon Collins, or at the very least franchise tag him, which would, again, allocate a lot of 2019 salary cap space towards another player. It's a very, very, very poor plan, in my opinion. I'll just leave it at that. A 38-year-old Eli Manning, what he's shown on tape this season, is not going to help this franchise have another postseason next season, or even, you know, get out of the doldrums of these one in seven starts and back-to-back seasons. So to me, that's what scares me the most, Nick. The, the thought that maybe, just maybe, they think that a run can lead to maybe Manning, uh, another year with Manning understanding. And I hate to say that. Again, this has nothing to do with what Manning has given this franchise. This has nothing to do with the kind of player he was in 2011, 12, and 13, and the kind of player he's had to been with rosters that have been, you know, ravaged by terrible draft picks and no investments on the offensive line. But at this stage in time, Nick, I just think it's extremely troubling that the Giants might be considering sticking with Manning for one more season. And, and I think that, and I'm, I'm more short-term, like I'm more thinking like, you know, that, that's all hundred percent, but I, I'm also thinking like, what if he's struggling come the third quarter, you know, like then you get to pull him on Monday night football. Right. Like, yeah. And again, these are all little details. Like, does it really matter? But at the same time, I don't think that's really the right way to do it. You know, what if he throws two or three picks against a defense that's kind of vulnerable? That like, that's not, that's not, cool. I don't think that that's any better than what we just said. So yeah, I, I kind of don't get this uh, you know, to be, to be honest. Yeah. And we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, again, we made it pretty clear. We believe that Kyle Ledekin won, helped the giants in the red zone. He was incredibly accurate red zone passer in college the senior bowl during the practice week, the MVP of the senior bowl, and in the red zone from a run game standpoint where he can help open up Saquon Barkley in the run game by adding his own read element to the Giants rushing attack. But again, something the Giants do not feel like he can help with right now, at least. Um, Manning is the starter, and we'll move on from there to a little bit of good news. And that was Pat Shermer, you know, his comment from Tuesday, not fully ruling out Jamon Brown from starting right away after the Giants claimed him on waivers from the Los Angeles Rams last week, this week in Monday Night Football. I would not be surprised if Brown's starting based on what Shermer said. Shermer said, we're going to try to get him in there right away. And he basically said there's not that much. He's not that far from behind from the point of playing. And so I love this move if the Giants do decide to go with Brown as their starting right guard this week against the 49ers right away. They just need more data on these guys. They just need, you know, let's be honest. John Greco is not going to be the Giants starting right guard next season. Let's be honest. Patrick Omame is probably not going to be the Giants' starting right guard next season. But if you put Brown in now, you give them, you give the franchise a chance to find a starting right guard at the cost of nothing. They didn't give up any assets to get him. He's under contract cheap based on his rookie deal. And he's somebody who could really be a key piece to helping this offensive line rebuild because they didn't have to invest or allocate any 2019 offseason assets to get him. So to me, this would be an excellent decision, Nick. Do you see it any differently? No, and they're going to need it with who they're going up against in pass pro uh, with DeForest Buckner this week. But uh, but yeah, so there's there's that element. Um, you know, Greco would not Greco is not holding up in many facets that way. I think he has a shot at being the backup center. I think that's a good spot for him. Uh, but for a guy that you know is in every play against the three techs in this division and in this league, I think that's tough. So yeah, no, hundred hundred percent, hundred percent agree there. And we'll see because you know it's not a lock that I mean the the in all likelihood he will 
come into the Giants as a right guard or a left guard, or obviously not a left guard, but a right guard or a backup, you know, left, right guard type player. But remember, Jamon Brown did have over 30 starts at Louisville, both left and right tackle. So with the way the right tackle position is shaping up for the Giants, now again, I don't think this will happen. I think he will be a right guard for the Giants. But listen, Chad Wheeler has been arguably, at least according to Pro Football Focus, the worst right tackle in the NFL this season on a per snap basis. Brian Mahalik behind him has, I mean, let's be honest, this is a guy who converted from defensive end to offensive tackle at the NFL level just a couple years ago. Can you really count on him at right tackle? So, you know, just something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be totally surprised if Brown maybe gets some snaps at right tackle later this season or whenever he gets in. If the Giants feel like, you know, they need to mix things up and kind of see where he can help this line the most. Is that something you think is possible or do you just kind of think, you know, he was a college offensive tackle, Nick, but he really doesn't have what it takes to play it in the pros? Uh, I think overall his frame, his 340, uh, his 340 size and his, and his overall, I forget his arm length off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he could, I think he has the versatility to, to do that. I think he's better than the two guys that you just mentioned if they wanted to push him out, you know, from a technical standpoint, his footwork's not unreal. It's not the strength of what he does. It, that's not what drives him in his recovery. It's his hands. So I'm, but I'm still okay with that. Um, from a, uh, from a tackle perspective, I think he probably has a vertical set, in a while uh, from a technical standpoint. So that's maybe something to kind of worry about. But again, you know, it's, I think it could be better than the two options that they have right now. So yeah, it's, it's not something that would surprise me, but I do think that they, they want him in the spot where he'll thrive the most, especially coming to the door. So that would be guard. Yeah. Um, I mean, long term for sure, it's definitely better to have him at right guard, but you know, if their focus is what Shermer claims to win games in 2018, it's definitely possible that a formation with, or, or a lineup with Greco and, and Brown at right tackle might be better than Brown and Wheeler at right tackle. Brown at right guard, Wheeler at right tackle. But again, I think long term, it definitely makes more sense at right guard. So that's probably where we'll see him. Something to keep an eye on. Um, that's kind of it for the news and notes since our last podcast. Again, the Giants have been off for a full week with the bye week. But something I did find interesting, Nick, that I wanted to talk to you about was the success that Mike Solari is having down in Seattle with the Seattle Seahawks. So Mike Solari, Giants offensive line coach from 2016 to 2017. Was They moved on from him with Ben Mack doing the old staff. They brought in Hal Hunter. And let's just kind of take a look at how that decision played out. So, you know, Solari took a lot some a lot of the blame for the Giants' offensive line issues in 2016-2017. Meanwhile, the Giants did not add a single player in the 2016 or 2017 NFL draft on the offensive line. Free agency-wise, they gave him one player, DJ Fluker, who he turned into the best player on the Giants' offensive line as a run blocker last season, and likely overall, he was probably, I mean, if you really look, break it down, he was probably the Giants' best offensive lineman on a personal basis last season, DJ Fluker. That's the only guy they gave him. They, you know, the Giants and Jerry Reese had him enter the season, Solari. He, they said, here, 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 Mike Solari. Your offensive tackles are Eric Flowers, Bobby Hart, and Marshall Newhouse. Find a way to make this offensive line competent. And guess what? The Giants allowed 31 sacks last season over the entire season with these guys at offensive tackle position and injuries to their only two, uh, you know, above average offensive linemen, Western Richburg and Justin Pugh. Meanwhile, the Giants have already allowed 31 sacks this season with new offensive line Hal Hunt, coach Hal Hunter, guys they added in free agency at both left tackle, left guard, and right guard. Um, and in addition to that, the Giants are on pace to – to have 62 sacks in the offensive season, Nick. Guess how many sacks Hal Hunter's offensive line had the last time he was in the NFL with the 2000 with the 2016 Browns. I, cheat, I cheated. I played 66. <laughs> I was gonna say it's uh, 66 sacks the Browns allowed in 2016 with Hal Hunter as their offensive line coach. Here's the rest of the timeline. In 2017, Hal Hunter was out of the NFL. In 2018, his Giants offensive line is on pace to allow 62 sacks. What the hell was this team doing hiring Hunter for starters? Why the hell, you know, did they let Mike Solari go? And meanwhile, right now, Solari is earning praise from just about everyone on Twitter, breaking down how he's revamped the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, the Seattle Seahawks run game. He's adding elements to the Seahawks run game every single week. DJ Fluker's playing great football there. The Seahawks gave him nothing. They didn't draft anyone this season to help that offensive line. It's essentially the same offensive line the Seahawks had in 2017 when they were the, one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, with the exception of the addition of Fluker and Solari as the offensive line coach. You know, these are just the type of moves to me that really, really make me take a step back, calm down for a second, Nick. I know I'm getting animated. And think, <laughs> what the hell is this franchise doing? Because 
Hal Hunter, to me, should not be the Giants off in the line coach right now. You know, you, I know you hate to call for guys' jobs, Nick, but I don't. I'll call for it. I did it on the last podcast. I'm going to do it again. This guy has to go. And if they get a guy like Solari in there this next offseason, they have to find a way to keep those guys. Because when you look at what caused the Giants' offensive line struggles, it was a managerial issue. You've talked about it, Nick. They never provided competition on the offensive line during Jerry Reese's entire tenure. Well, guess what? They also didn't give Solari many major assets on that offensive line via the draft or free agency. So, you know, this is just something that that really bothered me, Nick, and I wanted to get your take on it as well. Yeah, Solari is a really good coach. And um, specifically, I think you got to say his ability within the run game. He made the Giants uh, run game multiple in the last couple of years, uh, and meaning uh, they could do a lot of different things on the rushing side of the game. So Orleans Darkwa, like I think his his success was almost solely attributed to to uh, from a schematic standpoint to Solari. So Solari goes to Seattle where Tom Cable was there for how long? I mean, like four or five years. Yeah. And Tom Cable is notoriously a zone-only zone guy. His answer for everything is zone, which is great. It's a big school of thought that went through the NFL, like all other cyclical things that go through the NFL. He has since gone on the Raiders, and the Raiders are having their issues. Solari comes in. He's able to run a multiple front with the same talent, and they have success. And that's what guys are kind of amazed at, the guys like Doug Farrar uh, in Seattle that cover, that cover the team pretty well, and guys like, uh, I guess, Ben Baldwin, too. Um, guys like that are kind of amazed that, hey, like this, this this group had this talent. So Solari had that. I think the one thing that has to be kind of talked about, though, is that the head coach, when you have a – when you come in as a new head coach and there's a basically a broken team that you're taking over, they often clean the, the slate of everyone in terms of coaches just because it's hard – it's hard. It, this this whole thing doesn't work in the NFL unless if all the coaches are on the same page. So if there's one guy that's not on the same page, that's a problem. I think I'm guessing that Solari was fired because he probably had no relationship with Pat Shermer. That's yeah. that's probably the issue. But again, I don't know who you're going to blame in that situation because it's like you know it's Shermer's really decision. I would think unless if somehow the the, the GM group and personnel group is is influencing that or the owner. Um, so yeah, I see it as, as an unfortunate set of, of circumstances. I'm not, I don't even remember what Hunter's relationship is to Shermer in general. Uh, you know, it, I think it's hard. I think in this league, there's a lot of good offensive line coaches and there's a lot of mediocre offensive line coaches right now. You're not getting an offensive line coach. That's really helping the unit from a tape, from what we can see from a tape perspective. We're not in the meetings. We're not in all the other things with that, you know, for the, for the team. So you can only judge what you know about and. And so I think that's kind of where it comes from. I think it's a tough circumstance versus it's an unfortunate circumstance versus anything that any blame that can really go around. Uh, and I do think that again, if the, if the change is going to be made, it's going to be made there first for sure. Yeah. And you know what, taking a step back for a second, Nick, I do think you're right. I mean, it is it, a new coach comes in, Pat Shermer. He's worked with Hal Hunter before during their time together in Cleveland when Shermer was the head coach of the Browns. And, you know, he's going to bring in his own guys. I get that. I totally understand that. But not everyone on the staff was 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 brand new. There were there were player there were staff members that were retained for starters. And at the same time, you know, you look at it right now, and Solari's basically a folk hero right now in Seattle. I talked to Derek Lewis, our Seahawks twenty four seven sports writer, and he tells me about how the fans revere him. Right, now. I mean, the, he is viewed as just kind of guy who came in and saved this offensive line because again, they really didn't make that many additions to the offensive line. And you then look back at the 2017 season and he jump started that giants run game. We saw it start basically once McAdoo was out and they started to use a little bit more 12 personnel and they were big, big rushing games. He, you know, Solari's offensive line tore up the Redskins, tore up the Broncos. And at the same time, like I said, the pass reduction was actually somehow better than the pass reduction this season. And with the exception of that first game against the Cowboys uh, in the 2017 season, the stunts really didn't kill the Giants. You know, there wasn't as many communication issues as we see now from Hal Hunter's offensive line. And that was with Eric Flowers, the blindside pass protector, a left tackle for the Giants last season in 2016. That was with Bobby Hart at right tackle until they tried to move Pew there for a little and Beeler. I mean, he really had so much less talent to work with than Hal Hunter has had. And the results were, you know, noticeable. So that's going to be a key thing for the Giants this offseason, finding a new offensive line coach that will work. And to me, I think they'd be absolutely foolish not to at least give a call to Mike Munchak, Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach, well-renowned as the best offensive line coach in the NFL, a guy who has dealt with multiple injuries in Pittsburgh and has still put together a top two, three, four offensive line. Year after year after year, the Giants, uh, the Steelers haven't given him a first or second round pick 
on the offensive line in years. They're still dealing with old offense, all the early round picks like, you know, David DeCastro and uh, Pouncey, two players who are great, but at the same time, the rest of that offensive line is filled with lesser known guys that he's turned into big name, high quality players. Now, it's not going to be easy to get a guy like Munjek. He was rumored to be a head coaching candidate for the Arizona Cardinals last offseason. But right now, he's an offensive line coach. And the one way you can get around the salary cap in the NFL is with coaching hires. The Giants are a franchise that hasn't been afraid to spend in the past. I think it would be foolish to not at least call up Munchak this offseason and say, hey, we can give you a promotion from offensive line coach to offensive quarter. We can allow you to completely revamp an NFL team, the Giants team rushing game, in your image. And we're going to also give you the best talent in the NFL at the running back position in Saquon Barkley. We'll give you all those things. And we'll give you a raise. Well, and they got to offer him a ton of money to move on from the Steelers, in my opinion. But this is just something I think would be a really interesting move for the Giants this offseason to, you know, give a guy like Mike Munchak a call. What do you what do you think about that potential out of the box thought, Nick? I like the out of the box, but you'd have to get rid of Shula then. Yeah, you'd have to get rid of Shula. And to me, I don't see any reason why Shula belongs on this team right now. I'm sorry to say it, but I have been really I, I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you think of this differently, but I'm not a Shula guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, the old, the offense is tough to judge just because it's been eight terrible games, and, and for, not terrible, but eight poor games, marginal games, whatever word you want to describe it. Um, right. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that – the one thing I think that, that – I think that all these guys are coaching for their jobs 110%. And I am actually not sold that if they go 1-16 that Shermer's not out the door. Um, no way they're doing this. Not a, I'm telling you, Nick. I understand why you might think that, but this Giants franchise doesn't move on from coaches that fast. The Ben McAdoo thing was unheard of. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's a, and that's a good point too from historical perspective. I'm just thinking if it gets ugly because it's kind of it, you could say the trend is going that way. I just don't. I'm not sure that there's been enough time yet to automatically give the to throw the door down and then to have a guy like. Um, Shermer work with another guy that he's never worked with. If you fire the offensive coordinator, no matter what the role is, it could be Kyle Shanahan. After after one season, it's you. You basically have the coach on the hot seat in some level, right? And so then, if you're going to bring in Munchak and they've never worked before, I think the next guy that Shermer is going to want to bring in is someone that he's worked with before. The guy from you know the Minnesota um, QB coach they promoted, or guys from um, St. Louis, the, the St. Louis time. Um, when he was in St. Louis, you know, that type of thing where it's, it's not going to be, because right now, the one thing I will say is all, again, all these guys have not, have never worked together besides the one-offs like Hunter and Shermer, but all the main people or the, the biggest play, play, uh, voices in the room have not done that yet. So I think the next move, if Shermer is still in the seat, would be to bring in someone who he can trust that he, that he has worked with before. It's just, I just think that's, it has to go that way. Yeah, and I mean, as far as the Shermer point goes, Nick, I wouldn't expect the change there um, under most circumstances now. They moved on from McAdoo quick because the, the locker room, McAdoo lost the locker room. But so far this season, I know we've talked about this on past podcasts. I think this team's still playing hard. I think they're, you know, I think their issues on offense aren't effort uh, issues. They're just actual, you know, all, you know, all the things we've broken down, inconsistencies in the red zone, consistencies in the run game with the blocking, with the quarterback play. So to me, unless this team quits on him, he'll be there. Um, but you do make a good point about, you know, him having coaches that he's used to he's used to coaching with and that understand his philosophy overall. But speaking of, you know, the run game, I wanted to know if in 2018, Nick, after kind of, we, we took some time this break during the bye week to kind of re re look at some of the all 22 from the past games, this eight, this first eight games of the season. And, you know, is the run game something the giants can fix in 2018 and then have that carry over into the 2019 season? Or do you think it's kind of a lost cause for this year? I think that under the, if, if you're not going to change it, if you're going to have a static, if the coaches are going to stay, Stay where they are now. So you're gonna have the same rough philosophy going forward of a lot of inside zone and a lot of duo. I think that they can't improve it. And this is kind of leading into the piece that I wrote two days ago. I don't think that they can improve that unless that they add other elements to dress it up. And the and the, and the idea that I that I'm here two weeks ago and that, like I said, then wrote about it was using a zone read element with a mobile quarterback. Because if you're running a basic a basic scheme like inside zone and the backside of the of the defense is crashing so hard every time or most times, there's no other way to do it. So I think that you have to have some sort of schematic relief to help the, the running game going forward. With a guy like Barkley, you absolutely have to think 
that it's you know salvageable or you know that you can have success. This week is a good example against against that. San Francisco's front seven does not have a lot of dynamic guys besides a few few key players, but that you can run on them and you can run on them against their athletic strength. And so, it for me, I think you if you if you can't do this here this week, I think you have to start looking at other elements like zone read, other types of read op or other types of read options, read options general uh, which is the same thing and um and go from there because again if they're not going to use misdirection if they're not going to use multiple schemes if it's going to be very basic they got to have better personnel in there yep and that's something we'll have to see moving forward if they will make the change you know at quarterback to open up those some of those options in zone read but you know just in general i think that's that that if this offense can't get the run game going over the final eight games you know that's kind of the final factor for me in, in getting rid of um not only Hal Hunter, but for me, potentially Mike Shula, but that time will tell in, in that regard. Um, I have another question for you, Nick, just kind of based on what you're seeing uh, from the All-22. So here's a guy, Nate Solder, who they signed to the richest contract on an annual basis this offseason for an offensive tackle. And through the first eight games, he's allowed six sacks, and that's a lot of sacks. But according to Pro Football Focus, um, you know, outside of those six plays that result in sacks, He's actually been pretty solid in in his blocking. He has an above average grade there, the offensive tackle position. In addition to that, you know, guys like Jeff Schwartz, former Giants offensive lineman turned analyst, have said, you know, have mentioned that some of these sacks that are being blamed and credited on uh, to Solder for are really the fault of the quarterback for bailing too early and uh, kind of you know Solder recovers in his block, but at the same time Manning had already moved to a to a point in the pocket where. You know, it was much easier to, you know, where the stack is really the quarterback's fault instead of the offensive tackle. Do you believe that Solder's salvageable, or is this the type of player that they might have to eat a ton of dead salary cap money on to, to move on from? I think he's, I think he's more than salvageable. I think he's, I think he's, he's, he's actually pretty solid. Uh, I've watched two games in a lot just this afternoon, specifically looking at him, and I, I misjudged it. I wasn't watching him closely when I was looking at the All-22, and you go back and watch individual players, it's funny what you see. And, you know, he has some defeats, uh, but the defeats in the Redskins game, I didn't realize he only had one major defeat in the Redskins game that led to a sack, and that it was against one of the best, basically, pass rushers in the NFL, and Ryan Kerrigan, um, with a with a speed-to-power rush that he basically pulls over into the quarterback. You could play, you could – just, just imagine you had a great quarterback back there who's the most mobile guy. I would still put that on on Solder, and guys are going to get beat. And specifically, his issues I think are very, 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 it's very specific. Um, he, it, for him, the way he pass sets and the way he's being told to pass set. So what we mean by pass set is uh, is the way he goes into his pass protection. There's there's kind of like three or four major ways that guys do it. The way he's being told to do it or instructed to do it from a vertical perspective going backwards, he has a technical flaw a little bit that has shown up in his previous tape. And and Jeff Schwartz highlights this perfectly. It's it's his shoulders to the line of scrimmage. They become perpendicular. And when you do that, there's all types of issues that can fall, that can come 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 after. Um, that specifically leaves him vulnerable to some speed rushes. That's what Tack McKinley did against him in the Atlanta game. So, but if you take if you take that out of that of the equation and it's actually happening at a very low percentage of the time hence the high pff grades he's actually very good and not only that i didn't realize how athletic he was he, he can recover from almost any position in terms of being and, and so i'm describing poor positions when your shoulders are perpendicular to the line of scrimmage he recovers from that regularly with his feet with his hands he's got very good lateral agility uh he, he understands when he's doing that and he is that it's best like most of the line when they're running a lot of play action pass sets. So when play action pass sets, you, you're as a lineman, you're able to move forward and engage first without going back vertically. The Giants have to do more of that. And I guess that's like the one schematic thing that they're lacking in, I would absolutely have to say, because they're what, bottom half of the league in play action usage? Yeah. They, they need to bump that higher. They do not have the offensive line. And by the way, guys don't realize this, third down, I don't give a shit run play action. It still has the effect of, of holding the linebackers. They have to, not just linebackers, the front seven, they, they have to play run first. So you want to be in third manageable, but that still has some level of an effect there. And I think they have to use it because guys like him really benefit from it. So I think it's more than salvageable. I think it's a tough situation this year where he's had defeats hundred percent, but I actually, where I was on this podcast podcast before saying, Hey, they may bump him to right tackle because he hasn't played so well. I still think he hasn't played as well as he can, but I'm not saying that he should that they should bump him yet. Nor do I think that he's actually, you know, he's right there with Hernandez as the best, as one of the, as two of the best guys on the line. 
Yeah, and that's an interesting take because, you know, before this and before I kind of took another look myself, it kind of felt the same way. I, I kind of felt differently or, you know, like that Will Hernandez might have been the top performer on the Thompson line. But the more I watch, the more I see soldiers playing pretty solid football. And he's a guy who they're going to, you know, he's not going to live up to his contract. That's obvious. He's not going to be an elite left tackle like Tyron Smith when he's healthy or Trent Williams. But you know what? He's going to be a solid to above average left tackle, in my opinion with the right quarterback in the system. And I hate to, you know, I hate to come down hard on Eli Manning, but I do think some of these stacks are his, are his fault. So again, that's just something looking forward. I think me and you are both confident that Nate Solder can be a part of the solution. And that's a good thing because there's been a lot of talk that he can't. And, you know, one fewer position to fix on this offensive line is always a good thing with the state of the offensive line right now. But, you know, Solder's not the only guy on this team. There's a lot of young players who are going to play in the second half of the season moving forward. And we're going to get a look at guys like, Lorenzo Carter, Jamon Brown, Tay Davis, who you talked about on the last podcast, Grant Haley at cornerback, Sean Chandler, you know, nickel, big nickel packers at safety, nickelback, um, RJ McIntosh, who was just activated today or yesterday, and he will be on the active roster, I believe, this this Monday night. I'm not sure if he'll get any snaps, but he's going to be activated, and they, you know, they moved on from player to to put him in the lineup. Mario Edwards. So, to you, out of those guys, Nick, out of those young guys, who are you most looking forward to seeing? In the second half of the season, uh, it's got to be Brown first, um, and then and then you get into and then you get into Davis, Haley, and Chandler. Of all those guys, I would have to say I think Chandler would be then my my biggest target, only because his to see if his physicality can 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 show on on tape from um, from his college time. And and again, I come at this a lot of the way not from like the way I feel about guys, but from the way the team, I think the team will feel about guys. The team values physicality. They value aggressiveness. That's why Curtis Riley is, is still the, the starting free safety. I think they want guys with his type of profile to be able to, to, to flourish because they can't basically pay for other, for other, for, for higher priced items. So in that mind, I think if Chan, I think Chandler can, I think it's going to be cool to see if he does, because it would be again, a really good story and just something that, uh, Something that you know, I think he could crack that that starting lineup and stay there, and and we will see if it happens. Yeah, and Chandler's story really is awesome. He bounced around homeless shelters as a child, um, basically had to be uh, the father in his family, and he's really worked hard to get to where he is now. So I hope that you're right. But I'm actually most interested to see what Tate Davis does over the over the remainder of the season. And Tate Davis is a guy who you actually put me on to, Nick, during our last podcast. And I look back at you know his at his game tape in the game he got to start with or he got to play a lot with Alec Ogletree out. And there really is a lot to work with there. He's raw, but he's really athletic and he's really fast. And he's maybe what the Giants were hoping Ray Ray Armstrong would be from that coverage linebacker, that length, that lengthy, rangy linebacker standpoint. And this is also a guy that 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 is the first linebacker, uh, or I'm sorry, the second linebacker outside of Lorenzo Carter, who we know is an athletic freak, that Gettleman was able to draft and Gettleman brought in and I read an article, you know, we all read, I'm sure, sure a lot of you read this article from the offseason where Gettleman talked about how he really changed his process when it comes to evaluating and drafting defensive linebackers at that second level during his time with the Panthers. And you saw it with the pick of Shaq Thompson over there, the first round linebacker they took there in the first uh, when he was with the Panthers. So I think Davis is kind of in the mold of what Gettleman and the Giants want as that inside linebacker position moving forward. Um, and I think he's somebody who could really prove to be part of the solution moving forward. Um, but moving on a little bit from those from those players, there were a few questions I wanted to get to before we get to a preview of this game. Um, the first one is Nick. After kind of the, you know, I know you made your case on him a little bit earlier, but revisiting it, let's say, has Curtis Riley shown you enough to be kind of a long term picture on this defense? Uh, yes, because whether or not it's at free safety and they go get someone who's high, who's higher priced to be that. You know, I say elite, but just say you know higher end, almost Pro Bowl level type guy. Which again, they they do exist and they are expensive. I still think his physicality and his traits going downhill within coverage. Um, I think that he he can he can be there. The other thing that I have not mentioned um, in my defense of Curtis Ryland, which I guess I should, is the Giants are playing a lot more pattern match. And one of the things that 
you really have to be kind of sad and not have a life and really just watch all 22 is when you're, is when they're, is when they're lining up for the plays Chandler is often yelling at other guys, getting them in position. His, his FBI is higher than people give him credit for. And he has to be in that position being the free safety mold. That's a big, big deal. Um, specifically I've seen a few, more than a few times yelling at BW Webb, and this stuff isn't super straightforward. It's not landmark zone. And so I like that element to his game where it's like, Hey, like, you need if you want to be multiple, you need players that can handle it. If you want to do one thing, it's great. It frees them up to then you know be more athletic. But the guys that you know they need thinking people in these positions. I think that's a big part of why Ogletree is there. Um, so all within that whole structure, I think he can be there because he's grasping basically the defense. Yeah, and on that note, speaking, and I I, I think I would tend to agree with you on that, Nick. I think Riley's been a lot better than people realize this season. But on that note, something I thought was interesting, Nick, a guy who I actually think could also be on the roster bubble heading into the offseason. And that's Rhett Ellison, a tight end who they signed for a four-year, $18 million contract last year. And he was a top 10 run blocker, or top 10 run blocker overall, according to Pro Football Focus, last year in Mike Solari's blocking scheme, in Pat Shermer, Mike Shula, and Hal Hunter's blocking scheme. He hasn't graded out well. He struggled with blocking in addition to not adding much in the passing game. And he has a pretty hefty salary cap hit in the 2019 season. I think it's possible the Giants could look to bring in a better blocking tight end to pair with Evan Ingram this offseason and then move on from Red Ellison and recoup that cap space. What do you think of that? And, do you, you know, is there anything you've seen from Ellison that that kind of, you know, either go, puts you in one way or the other as far as his future with this team? I think that overall he's a guy that's got solid ability. Um, he has not shown nearly the level of consistency to justify that salary. Uh, Dan and I don't talk a lot before the podcast, so we don't, this isn't like all set up, but I actually pretty much completely agree with him and I actually think he's probably going to be the first player to get cut uh, just because it's that glaring where the backside of a lot of the, the defensive ends, whether it's Ingram or him in, if he's the inline tight end, it's very hard to block that defensive end in whatever running scheme they have, if that's what's being called. But he is—he's—it's—it's he, it's, not—it's not where it needs to be, and he's not good enough hands-wise to make up for that difference. And I hate to make this comparison because again, but it's a guy that that Dan likes. If you look at like where Dallas Goddard is, is a Week Ten rookie. I would take, of course, I would take Dallas Goddard over Red Ellison in terms of longer-term perspective. But right now, Dallas Goddard is like much better of a blocker. And that's kind of that kind of scares me just in terms of what they're willing, number one, what they're doing on the line, and number two, where he is and and the, and the contract that he has. And I just think it's going to be a target in the offseason. No doubt, Nick. And that's and it's and it's surprising for me to say because I went into the season with high expectation for Ellison. I thought he would be kind of an X factor type player on this offense due to his blocking and underrated ability catching the football. But that's what's really popped out to me as well, Nick. I really think he struggled as a blocker this season. And if he's struggling as a blocker, you just, you know, you're not going to get, it's just not somebody you can afford to have in, a, in, a, in an offense that really wants to use 12 personnel when they're not playing from behind every game, which hopefully will be the case uh, in 2019 or maybe down the stretch run here. Um, and just one more uh, question I wanted to get into before we dove into uh, the preview of this game. And that would be, you know, I know you've defended him before and I've gone the opposite route, but this in your mind, Nick, does Shermer deserve some blame or does Shermer deserve a lot of blame or any blame if he can't find some offensive consistency over the final eight games of the season, given the talent that he has around him? Yeah. And all this definitely has to, you know, it has to, it falls on a lot of people's heads, but you know, in terms of him being the, you know, a leader and understanding how to get the best of his players, you know, 110%, you know, he has to get at least a chunk of this, at least, the other side of this is guys like me, like I said, have wrote 10,000 words before the season on why we thought Manning would thrive in this offense. So, like, I was very wrong, number one. But number two, the other part of that, yeah, it is is there's there's some level of disconnect, and I wouldn't just call it with the quarterback position, um, that, yeah, it, it, it the game can always be called better. Um, I just think that when guys get specific on Twitter and things, they try to call out specific things, it gets a little hairier because you don't really – it's hard to know exactly what the setup is. And – and um, so that's where I kind of get, I defend a lot of play callers in that regard, but yeah, in general, yeah, that you're, you are what your record says you are. And this offense is specifically in the red zone needs something different. And I think it actually starts more with the running attack and that, and that, in that regard or featuring Barkley more in that regard. We've talked about that at length, but yeah, so I definitely think 
that he he definitely shoulders a big part of it. And and that's just that's just the nature of the beast being the play caller. Yeah, and you know, we talked about it a lot on the last podcast, so I won't go into all the, the jet sweep action and some of the twenty one personnel and the two back looks with Gallman and Barkley's not using and you know, Evan Ingram's usage and all of that. But to me, it's been glaring and, and almost as glaring as the quarterback play and the play of the offensive line. Not quite there for me, but close, but close for sure. Let's dive into a little 49ers preview, Nick. I was looking at this game. I was looking at some of the all 22, like I said, over the past, you know, the first eight games. And just from what I've seen from the 49ers on the broadcast, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I haven't dove into their all 22. And I know you have. So that's why I'm going to direct this question at you. Do you think, because I, I believe it's possible, do you think that James Betcher's defense can have kind of a coming out party in a dominant effort against Nick Mullins on Monday night? Yeah, and I think it's going to be the best part of the game just because he and Shanahan, Betcher and Shanahan, have faced each other three times in the last two and a half years just because they were divisional rivals. And then last year um, the Cardinals did play Atlanta. Atlanta, sorry, in 2016 the Cardinals did play Atlanta. Uh, and so you, you they, they faced each other a few times. The Shanahan's a great play caller. Shanahan's a great play designer. The the X factor I think could be the the the, the Giants' coverage, uh, specifically against the rookie uh, in Mullins, who although he had a very good outing and he does something very well, um, his you know he he it's not it, the the score and the results of that Oakland game do not really reflect basically how poor the, the Oakland defense played. And it wasn't, I don't even know if they gave up or not, but just, it was, they were just, all the big plays were basically missed tackles. And so I wouldn't put a, can he function in that offense? Yes, but I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's anywhere close to like, you know, even even the, the understanding that C.J. Beathard had had within the offense. So with that said, I definitely think they can. And he's a guy that they can, they can, I think they can confuse in coverage is the way to say it. So I think that's something too, where we look at the historical matchup that, Betcher has had with Shanahan. Betcher has played and had played a ton of man coverage. That was mostly because um, last year San Francisco's offensive, their you know, their wide receiver grouping was not as strong. Uh, so I think that's why they did it. And and he had a and you know Betcher had a bunch of defensive backs he knew very well in Arizona. This year, I think the pattern match and the different looks that they give in the secondary may cause turnovers for sure. No doubt. And I started to like the signs I've seen from this Betcher defense over the last two games alone, just with the Falcons and, and Redskins efforts that they put together. I, I think he's starting to come. I think he's starting to finally feel comfortable uh, using a lot of the same blitz concepts that he used in Arizona and with, you know, with Olivia Vernon back in the mix. Uh, so I think they're going to have a big effort. You see, is there anything else you wanted to touch on just from the schematic standpoint in this matchup, the Giants are 49ers? Uh, on the other side of the ball, um, the one th- if I, if we can go there, the one thing just to go back to the Giants running game, DeForest Buckner is a freak. He's six seven, three hundred pounds. He's an awesome right. pass rusher. You will not see more active hands than this guy's hands. If anyone's ever seen him in a broadcast tape, it's like he, he looks like he could. I don't, know, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy. It's scary. You can though run against him. He does not stand up that well against combo blocks. So particularly the left side of the line when they run into the boundary schemes where the tight end is very close to the, is on the short side of the field. He lines up on that side of the field in the four eye position. So it's basically on the inside right eye of the, of the left tackle in that regard. I think they can double team him. And I think they can create some big seams there with multiple different, um, not just inside zone, but multiple different other schemes too. Uh, basically a boundary sweep that they ran once in the last game, uh, you know, stuff like that. I do think they have a good chance for. So I think that's something, again, I think that, this is a game where if they don't produce offensively here, I, I think you got to kind of roll your eyes a little bit. Yeah, and you got to maybe make a decision to change quarterbacks or whatever you need to do. I mean, they had a whole they had an ex, they had extra time with the bye week to bring in some new run game concepts. So I do think we'll see those in this game. Um, but we'll see what happens Monday night, uh, and we'll move on now to some questions from the listeners. And we start with Freddie Blossy, who asks, who says Cameron Moore was not dressed for a game this season, but yet. We caught a serviceable return man in Quadre, in Quadre Henderson instead. Besides the Brown signing, why are they making so many bad personnel decisions? So I'll, I'll start with this one, Nick. I'm not going to judge these. I think they've actually been fine with their in-season personnel decisions, getting rid of Flowers, benching Omame. Even the decision to cut Quadre Henderson doesn't really surprise me that much when you realize that at practice this week, Henderson was returning punts with, guess who? Corey Coleman was added to the roster. And you know what? While I did like Henderson a lot in the returns he put together for the Giants in his one game last week, 
and he was a really dynamic return man at Pittsburgh at the collegiate level, I think Corey Coleman could actually add more to the return game. He's a more explosive athlete. He also has experience and success returning punts. So to me, I think that, you know, when they had to make room to uh, on the roster when they activated R.J. McIntosh and they weren't going to get rid of a safety because they need defensive backs, they were going to get rid of one of these receivers. They have so many of these types of, you know, receiver slash return men on the back end of that roster. So, you know, it, why did they get rid of Crodre Henderson instead of Jawel Davis? That I don't know. I think they probably believe that Davis is more long-term upside as an actual receiver, Jawel Davis, the undrafted rookie out of Bethune Cookman and also a faster player than Henderson for what it's worth. Um, you know, he can add you know, opening up the defense, being that knife uh, on the scene. But, again, I don't know exactly why they, they decided to make that decision, but I know why they decided to move on from him. Um, and, again, Henderson was signed, re-signed to the Giants practice squad after clearing waivers uh, earlier today. So, I mean, all is well all, all is well there in case the Giants need him again to, to bring him back to that return game. What, what do you kind of see there, Nick, with some of their personnel decisions? Uh, nothing to add from the film perspective, to be fair, just because it's not something I really focus on. But I do appreciate the question in from the sense that this is what they're like, 12th return guy. Yeah. So so that if you want to ask it within that context, yes. Within this specific one, I don't really know. You know, and but I think that gets into a special teams kind of you know, have they been good? I, I, I can't even, I don't, I don't judge special teams, but just from my optic, from optically, it doesn't really feel that good. So I, I think that, yeah, this is an area they got to kind of clean up and, and it's hard to say if, you know, a lot of these head coaches that have special teams backgrounds end up, obviously their special teams, so they become head coaches are great. Sherman does not seem that seem to be that kind of guy. And I don't really think that they have, they may not have the right answers that they need in the special teams department right now. No doubt. Um, Giants Dreamer asks, what is the Giants' plan to keep talking about since day one? It seems like it changes on the fly, and that equates no plan at all. But I, well, I'll just start by saying this, Giants Dreamer. When when uh, when Dave Gettleman you know, took over, he said, Rome wasn't built in one day. There's going to be a lot of changes that I'm going to make to this roster, and it's going to be fluid. And that's how any every NFL roster looks. They don't need any kind of set plan. The plan is just get the best 53 guys on the roster – and it's going to be a tough, difficult test. They have their cleaning house with what Jerry Reese built. Not only with you know the, the the amount of players they've moved on from and the amount of you know the fluidity of the player transaction, but also in the sense that they're trying to get different kinds of players to be you know a part of this Giants way. And that just means loving the game of football, having a passion for it, uh, being good locker room guys, leader types. So. It's just to me, I'm not worried about this. This for uh, you know, there's so many other issues with the Giants. I'm not worried about them not having a, a plan. I think there is a plan. It's just getting the best 53 guys. And I think moves like decision to claim Jermon Brown off of waivers kind of proves that. Do you see it any differently, Nick? No, it's it's something where we kind of again, it kind of have incomplete information. I think that if you can, if you can say style, I think you can get into the specifics of Gettleman stylistically. Of, of how he feels about maximizing value of any transaction. I think that's one discussion, but specifically with the plan, I, I kind of think it's, I think people have to remember, like you can have a great plan and be Sashi Brown and get like a billion picks and set the team up and then get fired. So they, you have to keep in mind that turnarounds can happen very quickly. And I think that they're trying to be as opportunistic as they can, even as they now kind of, like you said, clean house. Sure. And Josh Perlman asks, how are the Giants handling the Kyle Willetta situation? So they had in, in-house discipline, whatever that is worth. They won't suspend him. And I think they're kind of just moving on from it. Willetta had a really heartfelt apology yesterday about it. I, I've gone on the record as saying I'm not really viewing this as anything that I'm concerned about personally. Um, so I think that's kind of just how they're going to handle it. I mean, if you're if you're asking in the sense that you hope he's suspended or whatnot, that's not going to happen. I mean, Schirmer already made that clear on Tuesday. So We'll move on from that. Um, Andre asks, have you heard the talk about Tampa Bay moving on from Jameis Winston this offseason? I think it's crazy, but I think there's still a place for him in this league. Should the Giants take a look? Uh, I think they, I think Tampa Bay will move on from him. I think the Giants should look at everyone they can. I just don't think that he's thrown on tape the consistency that you'd want to pay to pay anything more than a backup number for um, that sounds really harsh. The guys, been, but the guy's been part of one of the best offenses in terms of talent. And this year, they've got one of the more interesting offensive coordinators. So I, I don't, I don't, I really have very little to no interest there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue. The issue is supply and demand. I mean, Jameis Winston, you look at the quarterback market, what they get paid. Sam Bradford, $15 million this past offseason, or was it 12 or 15? I mean, Jameis Winston's not going to accept a backup deal. I don't think Eli Manning is either. In a perfect world, you know, taking a flyer on James and Jameis Winston for a one-year mid-range contract might not be the worst idea as you transition in a rookie quarterback or Kyle Loletta or whoever, you know, wait for the 2020 class, whatever you want to do there. But for what he's going to want – for what the market will demand for Jameis Winston, a quarterback who's still young, still a top draft pick, uh, and former top, top draft pick, has flashed at times. I just don't think it's an investment you want to make. This is a guy who turns the ball over at a very high frequency, has had trouble both uh, off the field, both at the collegiate level with suspensions and at the NFL level with suspensions. So it's just not a situation I think the Giants will make from, from that standpoint. It's not a situation I think a decision I think they should. Um, okay. Dimitri asks, or I'm sorry, Rob asks, Warford, uh, you know, Warford makes blocking the stunt. It, okay, so I'll preface this one, Nick, because I just thought this was interesting, so I included it. I posted a clip of how dominant the Saints offensive line has been. Uh, it was a breakdown from, from I think it was uh, Brandon Thorne, offensive line guy on Twitter. Um, and, and, and Rob asked me, like, look, look, he looked at the play and he says, how come Earl Watford's making blocking a stunt by Aaron Donald look so easy? Why does the Giants offensive line – had such a hard time picking up simple stunts. So I kind of wanted to ask that throw that to you, Nick, because you're you're more of a, you know, you you understand this a little bit better than I do. What is the issue with the Giants picking up defensive line stunts? I think it was there earlier in the season. I think it's still present. And I think it's something that all lines battle with on some on some level. Uh, but specifically for the Giants, I think the the bigger issues on the right side were clearly identification. And so when it, when a tackle, let's just say it's a TE stunt, the tackle is, is, is going first basically to the outside, then the end is looping around him. Whenever you see a TE or an ET stunt, the first for the first you know, um, letter is, is the guy who goes first. So if it's TE stunt and he's doing that, usually what the Giants had issue with was the guard was not realizing that. So as he's passing off the tackle to the, the defensive tackle to the offensive tackle, He's not getting his head or eyes in the right spot to then have the agility to go back basically into his kind of lane, if you want to think of it that way, or to where the lane where the rusher's going and pick up the looping end. So I think it was definitely a, a recognition thing. I think part of this comes into situational play to how you're coached to, you know, what I saw with the Giants is they improved a little bit as the game goes like it went on, meaning more stunts they saw, the better they were at it. I thought I can, I think it's recognition. I think in some guys, like I mentioned with, um, with, with the new right guard, Brown, he has a little bit of an issue with this too, but it's specifically not recognition. It's him getting his head where it needs to be to, to where his play speed actually gets him back across the line. I think he's recognizing it. I think he's not getting to where he needs to be when he loses against stunts. So in a lot of these things, it's always like a little, it's a little specific detail. And a lot of times that does come down to coaching to be able to basically to kind of get over that. I think, again, though, say, I think all lines are, are susceptible to this. Some are more so than not just are more so than others. You're talking about, you know, the Saints line that's been, it's been the best offensive line, top three offensive line in the last two years, a group that's been together for a while, a group that's got the same coaches, all that continuity counts because not because the line calls get any easier. It's not really the line calls. It's knowing what to do just because you've seen the reps with the same people and all the little adjustments that they make when the the tackle that we're talking about, that's that's in the initial driver in that stunt, when he's coming from a different position or a different angle or a different timing. They're just used to seeing it so many times that the repetitions count. Yeah, no doubt. And that's something the Giants are going to have to hope to improve with time. Consistency and playing together on an offensive line plays a big role. You saw it with the 2007, 2008 Giants offensive line. You saw it with the Steelers offensive line I mentioned earlier today when I was breaking down Mike Munchak and why he helped the Giants so much, you see it with the Saints as well as Nick just broke down. So that's something the Giants are just going to have to, you know, figure out as time goes. But, you know, having a guy like Jamon Brown come in, potentially give them that solution to right guard, just gives them one more player that they don't have to replace this offseason and maybe makes it so next year they enter the, the 2019 season with three of the same guys in Solder, Hernandez, and Brown on the offensive line. And then a fourth maybe with Jalapio, Jalapeo, a guy that they're excited about, a guy that graded out well during his first few st uh, first start and a half of the Giants before the injury, the guy who they liked during the preseason. And then you then you turn and you look at it and maybe there's only one starter that needs to be replaced and they can kind of build on the continuity. But that's kind of a, a, kind of a look further ahead. 
And on that note, we're going to sign off for today's podcast. But before we do that, I do want to go over a little house cleaning. If you do enjoy the podcast, please, please, please subscribe on iTunes, Big Blue Banter. Download them. It'll help us build our numbers. Find us on Spreaker as well, uh, where you can find the rest of our, you know all of our content there. And you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. That's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Um, I'll continue the conversation with anyone there, as always. And then you can also find my work by downloading the CBS Sports app and clicking Giants as your favorite team and then clicking to turn on notifications. I promise you, you won't get more than one notification a day unless it's a big news day. And and then otherwise, you can just kind of browse the app and look through the content that you like from me and choose to read or not read it based on that. Nick, where can we find all of your work? Uh, on Twitter, tmanic21 is my handle. Um, I write for Inside the Pylon and Cover One. Cover One is all the Giants material. I've got to pick up my YouTube channel. I haven't posted there in a while. And uh, on the message boards, been a little quiet this week during the uh, during the bye week. And that's to be expected from the bye week. But we're still here. We're bringing you the we're bringing you guys the goods. Hopefully. So on that note, we're going to sign off for today. We will talk to you next week after the Giants. Uh, game against the 49ers, potentially with a new starting quarterback. We will find out then. Uh, On that note, take it easy, guys. Have a good weekend, and go Giants. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.